0: here's johnny i'll be back and you will know my name
1: is the law and i'm walking here i'm walking here i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that welcome to box office pulp your one-stop podcast for movies madness and moxie and once again we find ourselves at a Reese's Pieces-sized episode starring yours truly, Mike, and my forever co-host, Jamie. Say hello, Jamie.
0: So do you think they use the rice after they made them kneel onto it? Because otherwise, I feel like that's just a waste of rice, which the Lord would disapprove of.
1: Especially in olden times, where you need that goddamn rice to live.
0: You can't, and you can't dump it outside. The birds'll eat it; it'll make their stomachs explode. That's why we can't do that at weddings anymore.
1: Oh, those old-timey church-going people didn't care about the birds. Heathens, heathens
0: they were against the birds. They'd watch the birds explode and be like, "That's for telling Noah that the the world was going to still be flooded for a couple of more weeks." You bastard.
1: Yeah, they would blame the pigeons. If you haven't gathered, we're talking about the upcoming. Horror movie, The Last Thing, Mary Saw, uh, which is about to have its premiere at, well, it's already premiered at one film festival. I know it's about to play at the uh, Fantasia Film Fest um, and continue doing the um, kind of prestige festival circuit for now. But Shudder has announced it will be releasing it next year. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, we got. We were lucky enough to get our hands on an early copy, so you get to hear us gab about it for a while.
0: Even though other people have gotten screener copies, can we still facetiously say that this is a BOP exclusive?
1: BOP exclusive. It's a BOP. Woo! Um. So we'll try to be since it hasn't officially premiered yet. We'll 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 keep it to you spoiler free for the for the best of our
0: abilities. I'll I'll say. Spoilers, spoilers. Mary sees things,
1: or does she? No, she does. That's the. It's in the title. Um. So I've actually been looking forward to this movie for like a year. Um. I. I got some early trailers for it last year. Um. I've been kind of keeping up with the news for it. The overall, because there was no like concrete idea for what the premise was. The trailers were very moody. Um. Of course, it it stars Orphan, so that's exciting. Um, uh, Mary Shaw from Dead Silence. Sorry, that's what she'll always be to me. It's Mary Shaw.
0: Yeah, just making it very, very difficult to say the name of this movie while in discussion about her, because you just want to call it the last thing, Mary Shaw.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy I'm not the only one with that problem, because I felt so stupid.
0: Oh, it's like mixing up Scarlett Johansson and Scarlet Witch when talking about Marvel movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so I was pretty excited to, uh, for us to get our hands on the screener, and I'm going to once again try to stay spoiler free. But I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Um, I, I'm I'm left a little bit puzzled to a degree for it, but there's a lot of.
0: Do you agree? There's a lot of interesting uh, textual aspects to it. Oh, uh, definitely. I I came out out a little more on the fence than you did. Uh, I definitely think this is a movie I'm going to have to sit on for quite a while and definitely give it a rewatch next year whenever it hits streaming. But while I'm not entirely sure if everything uh, they're going for comes together in a satisfying way, there is so much in this movie that's fascinating by itself. And uh, as you said, just, just what's textually happening in the movie is fascinating like, just a, obviously this is a movie where you're much better off just letting it play and going in as, with as little pre-knowledge as possible I think we should say at the very least it's very much a movie about religious oppression uh, in 19th century America, uh, I believe rural New York to be exact there's sort of a uh sort of a uh, take on a on what what might be considered a witch trial that isn't exactly a witch trial but has the same uh, the same themes that would go into a story that was uh that was traditionally about witches which i thought was very interesting there's it's as close as i've seen to what could truly be called a Christian horror movie. Not Christian in the sense that it's a horror movie that extols Christian values or uses Christian mythology. It is a movie about the horror of being in a Christian environment and in complete isolation from anything that is not that environment and that religion. And I've never quite seen a movie... Approach religious horror from quite that angle. The the easiest way I could describe it is in this film, Christianity is portrayed with the exact same eye you would portray uh, the occult or witchcraft in any movie, like any traditional horror movie set at the same time period.
1: Yeah. It's Christianity, uh, religious fervor in general, I would say, is treated. with a normalcy and an alienism. I, I've never quite seen in combination. And as you said, there's an isolation to it. It's it, it it's almost the thing like in its paranoia of the other. Because the film is very much about not just like religious oppression and religious punishment and um and bigotry or or any anything like that. It's also about hatred, and I don't mean just hate. I mean like hatred, not just from the religious fanatics, but but from our protagonists as well, from the from the victims, from other characters who comes in, who come in. You know, I, I don't think that's any more realized than when Rory Culkin's character, the intruder, appears as this almost ethereal character who's dealt with hatred before and still re- like revels in it to a degree but has a serenity to him in regards to almost the concept of hatred and and that's why the f- film I think I've adjusted my expectations for the film a little bit since seeing it so I've come away liking it a little bit more than when it first ended um I'm still I still definitely need to see it again but I I've come to view it more as um in regards to its ambiguity and and overall tone, um, more of a parable, a fable, a fairy tale. It, not that it works on fairy tale logic necessarily, but it has that it has that vibe of this otherworldly kind of fairy tale story, but with these this very down to earth element. Where yeah, there are there there is something supernatural afoot in the story. It's never exactly clear what it is, and I think some of that is the fault of the screenwriting. Um, Eduardo Vitaletti, Vitaletti um, is the first-time writer-director, first-time feature writer-director on this, and I think definitely some of that is showing from the, the first-time nature of that, some growing pains in there as far as the scripting goes. Uh, but I also think a little bit of plays into that that fable logic of the supernatural element almost being a manifestation of the hatred flowing through all these characters in the house that kind of brings them all together and it's kind of shown through the matriarch character in the story kind of lords over for a large portion and is just unsettling and harsh and one of the most evil characters I've seen in something
0: (sighs) I I I'm impressed by how little that character is actually in the movie, yet you walk away feeling like uh like you just saw like whatever happened to the to baby Jane or something. <laughs> like, no, yes. no. I clearly watched two straight hours of this character tormenting two teenage girls and she was the scariest thing in the world, and then you think back, it's like, that movie's eighty-eight minutes long and she's in three scenes.
1: Uh, oh god her presence looms so large and her presence bites into the atmosphere of the film and the atmosphere is something that is so strong and so well done from both the directorial standpoint and the cinematography how much of the film is lit by candles is incredible to me there's such uh, the the house the film takes place in feels so claustrophobic and so small and so suffocating. You can you feel like you're there with the characters as they're being tortured by this family.
0: Yeah, I listened to uh Vitaletti talking at length about the production earlier today, and I thought it was very fascinating how obsessed he was with the the closed off, overly familiar. Uh, mood he wanted to strike with that house. Like, it was very important to him that there be these little details, like the family only having one or two of everything. Like, there's one knife that's used throughout the entire movie. They have pretty much just the one silverware set. You see the same clothes over and over. You get to know that house and the little uh, area around it like it's your own in a very short amount of time, and it really hammer's home this exp- this feeling that there is no outside world there is no new york there's nothing beyond this house there's just the wood the family and god and god is not happy with you yeah I- i'm very glad uh that you brought up the fairy tale aspect of this because well you're right there's nothing in any way whimsical about this story and it's uh, its dalliances with the occult are very subtle and selective, but the whole time I was watching it, the, the feeling I kept getting was: I feel like I'm watching an episode of Lore play out in real time. Yes, yeah. Instead analogy. of but instead of the superstitions and mysticism that you normally would see in a story like that. Uh, you know a, a family being plagued by you know the old world coming back to haunt them it's not about leprechauns it's not about some kind of pagan ritual it's just christianity and america in that interview vitelli said uh, vitelli said something really interesting that kind of made the movie come together for me in a way that the finale couldn't quite do she said the germ of inspiration for this movie came from just reading through apocryphal Bible stories. like All the Bible's deleted scenes, which, for all intents and purposes, are just as valid as what's actually in there. Yeah. And in studying that, he realized, wow, the Bible is just as occult and pagan and filled with mysticism and rituals and arcane shit as any other religion. Yet Christianity has been able to sweep that under the rug and rebrand itself as a more modern, forward-thinking religion. And what's relative, what's basically the recent past. And uh, th- that bothered him. And he-, he wanted to make a movie that treated like uh, early American Christianity with as much horror and uh, shame as we as we all will cast on something like voodoo or any other old religion. And I think that's a really interesting idea for a movie. I kind of wish that was more the movie he made than this. But knowing that that was at least the intent and what was in his head when filming this movie really clarified a lot of stuff because the ending is very effective in terms of tone. And it's genuinely terrifying those last 10 minutes it doesn't quite put a button on what the movie's going for or what any of that was supposed to be about and i think that's one one thing that will definitely work in the movie's favor whenever it's on streaming and you can give it a rewatch because i'm certain round two is going to be a completely different experience knowing what all of this was building to
1: yeah what to expect so it's, it's a bit like reading a, a a book for a second time like you, you start to understand different aspects of it on on further go arounds and think that fix fixes all the problems but i mean honestly just you explaining what he said before opens my eyes to a little bit more of what's what what's what's being represented particularly in that ending which by the way i, I want to mention about 90% of the third act has absolutely no dialogue and it.
0: It, it it's like a magic trick the amount of tension and tone escalation they're able to pull off with pensive stares and editing is outstanding.
1: There is an incredible amount of just superb acting from from everyone in this film and the way the camera is able to capture just glances and small facial tics and, and no win in the editing process to like focus on that and then cut to the to something else so you know the context of a look to really build tension and tell a story silently uh, yeah uh, d- despite kind of some of the failings of uh, overall some of the storytelling as it's presented I, this is a filmmaker I'm really curious what he'll pump out once he hones the craft a little bit more because he's already been able to pull off some of that I mean this is like, you know, A24 horror film level stuff going on. Like this is very this is very Robert Eggers in a way.
0: Oh yeah, if you're into Robert Eggers or Osgood Perkins, like it is very yeah. much uh in, in that vibe in the in the Hansel in the Gretel and Hansel vibe. Like if you're looking very for so. if you're looking for a, for an Eggers movie that's even more stripped down to its to its basic parts this is absolutely going to be your jam. And
1: uh one other thing I wanted to touch on cuz I want to get your opinion on this. The the love story between Mary and and the maid obviously is is what sets all the events in motion and is the backbone of the film both emotionally and just from a storytelling perspective and almost plays into that magic quality that Vitaletti was was discussing in almost um I know esoteric kind of way with the uh, with the way prejudice against uh, sexuality is treated, but something i I personally enjoyed was and I and at first, I wasn't sure how to feel about this kind of as it was playing because, well, is this exploitive? because it's not necessarily focusing on the relationship as a relationship, but as i I kind of put my mind more to the time period. And the idea of hatred, there is a lot of self-hate going on, where there's an uncomfortable with self between the two, where they don't even exactly understand how to operate in a relationship. And it's not really about that, where you get small glimpses of their love for one another, but it never lingers on it. It's it's very matter-of-fact, and... I don't know. I, I was curious to get your take on how the film kind of handles this queer love story.
0: Well, I think a uh, double-edged sword with writing queer love stories, especially right now, is uh, you, you do have that like question lingering over your head. Like, okay, if I'm going to put a queer love story in this, do I have to justify it by saying something? or can this just be a regular uh, can this just be handled as just another part of the story i kind of like how whatever exactly causes eleanor and mary to fall in love is completely off screen and i love how their their relationship isn't even really the backbone like it's not really a love story they're just two people yeah. in isolation who have found a brief amount of respite from the oppression around them just in each other in a way that they themselves don't seem to entirely be able to articulate. It's it's something I I don't think would work anywhere nearly as well if one of the biggest themes of the movie, really the only theme of the movie that's just stated out loud to the audience, is the price of silence. Whenever we see Eleanor and Mary in their intimate moments they don't have uh, these haikus to give each other. They don't even have really that much encouragement to give each other. No kind of, we're going to get through this together because our love will conquer all. They just look at each other longingly and fool around a little bit. And like in these brief moments that they can steal from, uh, they can steal with each other. And there's something very, very real about that. Uh, the fact that. Sh- their relationship is ultimately just like, how much time can we spend together? How long can we gaze into each other's eyes? The very fact that we have these feelings is wrong and is going to get us killed. Like, h- h- how much can we allow ourselves to feel this? Uh, that's, that's, that's why I think, uh, where the, the title of the film, I, once you get the full context of that is really haunting.
1: Yeah. What what I think is really interesting about it is, as you said, it's it's not strictly a love story in the traditional sense. It's a connection, but really the film is utilizing it the same way it utilizes uh, the intruders, Rory Culkin's um, birthmark, where it's at the the time it was seen as this devil's mark, or there's something horribly wrong with him he he gives this speech about it uh you know growing up going to all these doctors who wanted to remove it and now we know it's just a normal part of nature just like the relationship relationship between mary and eleanor but in the context of time and this religious fervor it's another sign of of an of other that we are choosing to mark as evil as as devilish in some way
0: and not even just and the it, it other kind of... but specifically the outsider something that is not yes, of the, the family that is not of the bible that is not of the way things have always been
1: it is a bubble the the house and the woods surrounding it in this field is a bubble and anything intruding from outside of the bubble be it a person or an idea is wrong and needs to be rectified. That's so I think it's so interesting about the family not wanting to just exile Eleanor to get her, to get her away from their daughter. Like, no, if she's, she's good. She just, she needs to go somewhere else. And then that the feelings will go away. It's, it's, there's a complication to the, to the hate the people feel or their, um, you know, uh, their guard essentially, their handyman who is no longer allowed in the house, but also was shot in the leg because he tried to escape.
0: It's like you yes, cannot leave handyman the in quotation you. marks. Yes, yes. Okay, can we can we just so talk about that for just a brief moment? How fucking chilling and ineffective it is whenever you realize the house more or less has a slave who's there. Yep. For reasons you don't know, it's like the movie's set in pre-Civil War New York. So, yeah it's, yeah, yeah, it's without it's like without saying it out loud. There's so much they're saying with just oh, they just own a, own a, another white dude. We don't have to explain why. that's yeah. the kind of thing you could get away with back then.
1: And It's just kind of it's kind of people these that you're dealing with in the story. And it's like the reality of it is so horrifying. I think that's what the film really excels at at times is these little bits and bobs it introduces around this world that exists mostly in this house and this field that doesn't go into great detail on them, but are little slivers of life here within this, this bubble and this religious fervor this, this matriarchy and patriarchy of this family with these figures lording over it and this belief system. You just get these little slivers and the more slices that are given to you, the smaller the house feels, the darker it gets, and the more oppressed you, even as a viewer, kind of begin to feel.
0: Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen a movie capture... Just palpable oppression. More like every scene in this movie from the beginning to the finale just feels increasingly more uncomfortable, filled with this ever-mounting dread. God, I I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think the last thing Mary saw is the movie M. Night Shyamalan was desperately trying to make with the village. Yes.
1: Yes. Oh my God. I thought that as I was watching it. I was like, "This is the tone he thought he was doing." Like this, these, are all like, the this same is what he was ideas, but not stupid. And honestly, if you transpose the tone of the last thing Mary saw onto the village and got rid of whatever the fuck he was doing with that instead, got
0: the got village rid of the works.
1: bad color, <laughs> the bad color, and foot races and shit like that. You, Adrian Brody, <laughs> just come on. <laughs> <laughs> Replace him with Rory Culkin.
0: Um, <laughs> it works. Like, Ricardo Culkin with that sack on his head. <laughs> and i Did it amuse the shit out of you that Rory Culkin spends half the movie dressed as an old timey supervillain <laughs> with his one? Can Rory eye. Culkin
1: play a supervillain? I want Rory Culkin to play a supervillain. He's honestly the most underrated of all the Culkins. Like they're all good actors. Like, don't get me wrong, but Rory's the one who's worked steadily on some big stuff, but mostly, like, small indie stuff. But he can do kind of anything. Like, um, like, he's actually pretty good at comedy, but he can do, like, straight drama or unnerving performances like this. Like, since he was a kid, like, he's really kept going and grown a lot.
0: Oh, my God. You know what I realized was one of Rory Culkin's first roles? starring in M. Night Shyamalan Sign. See, this could have happened. This could have lined up. It all comes together.
1: Why'd you fuck us, M. Night? Why do you keep getting movies? Honestly.
0: how How is old playing in theaters right now? How does Shyamalan get a movie done in the pandemic? Just support f- support
1: female filmmakers. Stop supporting M. Night Shyamalan. Anyway, that's my soapbox <sighs> for the, the day on this episode about the last thing Barry saw. Which... You know, and despite some mixed feelings on it, obviously, it's, I, I wish we could go into spoilers, but it's going to be a while before anybody can really see this. And I recommend checking it out when it comes to Shudder next year. I think it's a conversation piece, most of all. Even if you walk away mixed like like we were, there's so, besides from a filmmaking standpoint, it's, it's superb. Uh, from sound design, cinematography, direction, acting, all of it. It's just superb. But its ideas are thought-provoking and really do linger with you quite a bit, particularly through its tone and, and how it treats its, its, its source material, for lack of a better term. So even if you walked away not liking it, it's a very interesting experience. Turn off the lights and put on the last thing Mary saw and just kind of get spooked out for a while.
0: Maybe you'll get a terrible storm like Mike did.
1: I, I I got a storm while watching it. It was perfect. I recommend it. I don't know if you can make that happen with your mind, but if you can, I recommend it. Make it storm. Do a rain dance. That's probably racist to bring up. Anyway, um, if you like this show, you can of course always find us at boxofficepulp.com. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Amazon Music. Uh, we're on lots of other places, podcasts are found, Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you uh, enjoy this or if you don't enjoy it, you know, rate us whatever you'd like. It, it really helps out a lot. Write a review. Um, you know, spread the word on the podcast a little bit. Uh, but reviews reviews, and ratings do help a lot if you want to support the show. Uh, you can tweet at us at Box Office Pulp. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Box Office Pulp Podcast. I'm also at Lucky Deck Napier on Twitter, Jamie.
0: You can find me at MondoFunky on Twitter. I don't uh, tweet that often these days, but my retweets are top-notch.
1: I concur. They are top-notch. <laughs> As for us, just get the fuck out of here. And like that, he's gone.
0: The last thing box office Pulp saw was a bottle of Bud light before he poured it into his own eyeballs anything to get those images out of his head box office pulp loves feeding rice to birds box office pulp got in trouble for making two lesbians kneel but for completely different reasons box office pulp is a bad person this is box office pulp guy and this has been a pulp podcast production now please 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 Put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight.
1: And now, on with the show.